Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Hayes Brown. Listen, it's another Blackout Friday for Black History Month. Yes. And Jesus Lord, we are tired. So tired. <laughs> but we're here. We are here, Saeed, yes. because we, our people, are what? Resilient. Okay, that too. We are also that. Yeah, I, but yeah, sure. Resilient. Uh, we transcend <laughs> history and and Lift, we're lifting race. every I voice get it, right I now. I get it. Uh, but listen, we are here. You guys need to brace yourselves, though. Take a breath, sip some coffee or some tea, because we're going to be talking again about the Great Commonwealth of Virginia as part of our ongoing series. What the fuck is going on in Virginia? All right, now here is a real tweet with real words. <laughs> An, Ash, an elementary school in Ashburn, Virginia, played a runaway slave game in gym class for Black History Month. The NAACP says black third through fifth graders at Madison's Trust Elementary were instructed to be slaves. I tweeted about this earlier. I just know this wild February has broken me yes. because I just, I wasn't even angry. It's just funny to me. It's just absurdly funny. These little eight through <laughs> and 10 year olds running around being like, I made it. I'm going north. I got this. That's the North Star. Okay. This is how it worked. Like, so the, the PE teacher, I guess, opened with a lecture about slavery. Great. <laughs> I'm sure it went um, great. And then it was like, listen, that's some kinetic learning. Um, so I learned this in kinesiology classes. <laughs> divided the students into groups, and they basically like had to do an obstacle course. Right. And this is the problem. Yes. I fucking loved obstacle courses in PE as a kid. I know I would have like won, and then gone home and been like, Mom, I escaped slavery. I was so fast. Call I got my papers. <laughs> So listen to this, though. Listen to this. From the BuzzFeed News article on this. Oh, the God. obstacles included moving between stations on a scooter without touching the ground and moving through hula hoops without knocking them over as a group activity. So bad. Selling That's the so noble bad. scooter, the little box scooters, which were one of the best things in life with slavery. <laughs> they and are now slave scooters. The school district and the teacher, everyone's apologized. But also another thing that I also think is funny is that they apparently went back and redid the lesson, quote, in a more effective way. And I'm like, how the fuck do you, what's the more effective way to? <laughs> I don't know, maybe like the scooters now. Or, okay, we're good here. Let's it's just, it's just really funny. Um, so obviously, this is terrible. Don't do this to kids. Virginia. Get your shit together. Please. I don't know. Do we need to form a prayer circle like in Beloved when like all the black women hold hands outside of Seth's house and I pray? Mean, like, my God. Let's take it to the timeline, friends. Um, what's like, tell us like a story about like, it's like a sweet, well-intended moment, you know, from your childhood or from elementary school. But when you think about it now, it's really cringy. Like, like that it's, like, was uh, not what you meant for this to be. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let us know using the hashtag. Are y'all still dressing your kids as uh, Native Americans for Thanksgiving every year? Yikes. Yikes. Well, moving on. The Oscars are coming this Sunday after weeks of drama. Now, over the years, we, as a people, you know, as a culture, have seen a lot of progress in terms of representation at the awards. See Black Panther. On the other hand, well, hey, Saeed. Yeah. Green Book. Fuck you. Exactly. So here to talk with us about the ups and downs of the Oscars for black folks is the creator of hashtag OscarSoWhite, April Rain. Good morning, April. Good morning. How are you? We are good. We're it is surviving. We are. We are here. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was the best. But I am so excited to talk to you yes. um, because thank you uh, for all the work you've been doing. Mm -hmm. um, you started the hashtag Oscar So White in 2015, and I think it's it's undeniable that it's had an impact. I wanted to ask you from your perspective, uh, what do you think has been the biggest change that you have seen since then? I think the biggest change um, began to occur in 2016 when the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, the people who run the Oscars, committed to doubling the number of people of color and doubling the number of women by 2020 um, because those are the people who actually vote on the actual, you know, the awards every year. Uh, and so making the membership more diverse, more inclusive, hopefully means that people will have these kinds of issues at the front of their minds every Oscar season. So I, a lot of people don't really know much about the Academy. Like I, for one, don't know how long these terms last. So do you think that the changes that are being made are like long-term, baked in at this point? Or is the kind of thing like if we let up the gas, it's just going to go back to the way it was? 
Well, once you become an Oscar member, you, you don't get voted out after a certain number of years. Um, one of the other things the Academy has done, though, is say that if you are no longer active within the film community, so say you were nominated you know, for a film in 1950-something mm-hmm. and becoming a nominee allows you to enter the Academy, um, but you haven't really done anything for the last 40, 50 years, then your vote may be grandfathered and may not count anymore. And I think that's a great idea because that encourages folks you know, who have a legacy within the academy to perhaps mentor some younger folks, you know, more inexperienced folks just coming into filmmaking, um, you know, and and give them some pointers. Um, But what a lot of people don't realize is that the academy and many other award shows do not require you to view the performances or the films before you vote. Oh, wow. Wait. Um, You know, I've always said that this should be a meritocracy, right? Let the best film win. But if you're not watching the film, it really becomes a popularity contest. Wow. I I didn't know that at all. I did not. I thought that you had to like sit there in a room and just like go through them until your eyes bleed. White people are always crazier than I think. Mm. Um, You know, know, it's just like, oh, of course, this is even more absurd than I would expect. Something I wanted to ask you is um, your personal, like, how do you feel about the Oscars? Like, do you like the Oscars? Do you like the Academy? Or is it just like, listen, it's an important institution and we need to do better? Sure. Well, you know, Oscar So White was created because I was sitting in my family room uh, in January of 2015 watching the nominations. Like, I was invested. You know, I I did the pre-show. There were special snacks involved. (laughs) I broke off the TV area every year. You know, that was was my Super Bowl. Um, And so I absolutely love the Oscars. Now that I know more about it, um, you know, I, I still think that there are changes that can be made. But as of right now, Um, The Academy and the Oscars are considered the pinnacle in in film. Now, we can debate whether that should be the case or, you know, whether, um, you know, I get this all the time, whether black folks should look to a white institution for validation. All of that, all of those are are fair and valid issues and concerns. Um, But overall, um, we also know that through the years, black women who have won the Oscars, think Hannah McDaniel, think Whoopi Goldberg, think Halle Berry, you know, there aren't that many of them, or any other woman of color, um, they haven't reaped the rewards of being an Oscar winner as much as some other folks have, right? So Halle Berry still has trouble from time to time getting work, and you would think all doors should be open to her. Um, Octavia Spencer very publicly has said that both Jessica Chastain and LeBron James have had to help her um, either get a film made or ensure that her salary was on par with her co-stars. So there, you know, with with every institution, with every organization, with every corporation, there are ongoing issues. I would love to be able to, you know, talk to the Academy, um, you know, the the gatekeepers about maybe some additional things that that could help um, all filmmakers because Oscar So White is about not just race, but gender, sexual orientation, disability, indigenous people, and age. Okay, come okay. for queen. Yeah. Well, here's a tweet, though, from The Hollywood Reporter. Hashtag Oscar So White creator April Rain has accepted an invitation from the Academy to attend her first Oscar ceremony. So, I mean, are you excited? Are you ready for this? Are you ready to, like, go? Are you going in there, like, guns blazing? Or are you going to be like, this is so nice? <laughs> well, hey, listen, I will have my phone. <laughs> so, I, you know, so there will be live tweeting and, and, and Insta stories and all the rest of that throughout the night. Um, I, I am thrilled to be going. You know, I am going to celebrate for this one night. Um, the, the struggle continues there, you know, Monday morning, I will be back at it, uh, you know, talking about issues of diversity and equity and inclusion. Um, but, you know, th- this is the first year that I was invited. And because of the diverse um, group of nominees that we have, of course, we always need more. Right. Um, but, you know, this is a great year to attend. So, you know, we've got uh, if Beale Street could talk and Black Klansman and Black Panther and Roma. Um, and so I'm excited to be in the room and, and see what happens. And I be taking everybody with me behind the scenes as much as I can. I love it. I mean, Joy is a part of the revolution, too. I also just wanted to ask you, I mean, obviously, as you said, you are a fan of the Oscars, um, and now you're going. Uh, are, do you know what you're going to wear? Like, have you started, do you have a glam Who spot? are you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> 
I do know. Um, if you've been following me on Twitter, you may know that the last couple of days have been incredibly hectic uh, because my my dresses were, were uh, my gowns were stuck in shipping hell. And so, you know, there's a whole, I could write a book on, I literally had to go to UPS, the facility yesterday to get one gown and I had to go to USPS, my local facility to get a second gown, but I have them. I'm not going to say who I'm wearing yet. Uh, uh, I, will, I will do the whole thing. I have an amazing stylist. Her name is Carolyn. Uh, and she has never let me down. So I, I'm, I, it, it's a thing. I'm also um, taking my 19-year-old son with me. Uh, because Oscar Light is all about uh, ensuring that kids of all ages are able to see themselves on the screen. So I'm not sure which one of us is more excited, um, but we're going to have a fantastic weekend. Oh, April, I love Making so some memories. Oh, so all right, April, thank you so much. And enjoy the ceremony, both of you. Thank you. All right. So, man, that's I mean, so cool. That is really great. That's I so wish so. as a 19 year old, I oh, would go absolutely. into the Oscars, even with my parents. Yeah. I mean, also, like, I hope Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse mm. wins and he's in the audience for that. Right. Um, so, you know, also, we wanted to, like, have a conversation, too, about, like, grudges mm. <laughs> with the Oscars. Something I refuse to let go of, and I know he won um, for training day, but I felt that Denzel Washington was totally wronged in not winning Best Actor for mm. Hurricane, the, mm -hmm. the biopic. Yep. You know who won that year? Boomst. Kevin Spacey <gasps> playing a pedophile in American Beauty. Mm -mm. I'm still mad. Mm -mm. I'm still mad. So I, I personally am yes. still mad that ever since Beauty and the Beast back in the day, they have blocked animated pictures from being like a best picture nominee. They created really? the best animated category just to prevent that again. And I'm still mad at you, the Academy. The animated wow, because like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse should be it should be up there, yeah. but it's not. Oh, okay, well I'm mad about that. Well, let's take this rage to the timeline. Um, over the years, let's talk about those beefs, those grudges, mm -hmm. awards categories. There's been a lot of that going on. Uh, what is your biggest Oscars grudge? Tweet through the pain using the hashtag AM to DM. All right, here's a story of a very different kind from the Daily Beast. Powerful Democratic donor Ed Buck solicited Timothy Dean for months prior to Dean's suspicious death in Buck's home. Uh, very disturbing story. Have you, have you been following this? Not as closely as I feel like I should. I've seen the name floating around. I know that there are some suspicious deaths involved, right. but I don't know as much as I should. I, I mean, like. listen, the news cycle is electrified and very busy. I think we can all, you know, understand that we can't keep up with everything. Um, we actually talked about this Ed Buck uh, mm. scandal in January on AM to DM, but I um, and our producers, we wanted to revisit it because um, as, you know, the Jesse Smollett story has understandably right. taken up a lot of oxygen in the news cycle, I've also been seeing tweets from people like Quinta Brunson, Ashley C. Ford going, hey, what's going on with this Ed Buck story? Like, this is a story where seemingly two black gay men have died under at least mysterious circumstances. So we're going to talk about it this morning. Yeah, for my benefit and yours, we have Ernest Owens, who has been covering this story for The Griot, joining us now. Ernest, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Of Thanks course. for joining us. So for people who aren't as familiar, who is Ed Buck and what are the allegations against him? So Ed Buck is a wealthy Democratic donor that lives in California. He has donated to Hillary Clinton campaign. He's a notable activist. He's donated to local politicians in the California, L.A. area. Um, he's openly gay. He's a notable activist to certain um, LGBTQ circles. And for the past year, he has had um, countless black gay men entering his house, um, allegedly in, in, um, partaking in drug-induced sex parties and pay-for-play, which is an exchange between drugs and sex. Um, many of these men are allegedly um, have been impoverished. Um, some of them are struggling with addiction. And two of those men have died of um, drug overdoses in his apartment in such a short period of time. He currently has not been arrested or charged with anything. And recently, this week, he was seen having, um, being followed by CBS reporters for having um, a, a black gay man accompanied with him. So people are, um, are outraged. They think there's a fetish going on and they want justice. Yeah, um, and, and the, the two men who, who died in his home are, were Timothy D uh, Dean and Jamel Moore. Um, can you tell us more about them? Uh, were they from the Los Angeles area? Um, how did they end up in Ed Buck's orbit? Well, for starters, Jamel um, was found, uh, is actually lives in Houston. Um, he, he's passed away. He lived in Houston. Um, he was sent out on a flight um, to Buck's house um, in which there were pictures of drug paraphernalia and photos and also a diary entry that stated that Ed Buck basically was, um, you know, in many ways a monster. 
Um, he was found dead in his home um, shortly on the, within the same day of his flight. And his family um, even voiced concerns about the way in which this operation happened. Um, there was speculation that there was sex work um, that could have partook in this. Um, and mm-hmm. other people have had voiced other concerns similar. Um, as far as the other man goes, he also, too, was a police claimed to be a, a friend of Buck, um, Buck's attorney says. Um, but again, there hasn't been any much information to support that outside of the fact that he was found there um, also um, dead in his house from a drug overdose. So there have apparently been rumors flying around for years about Ed Buck and various misdeeds. Why do you think it's flown under the radar for so long and why is it really surfacing now? Because he's a white cisgender man with power, with money, political influence. Um, it's baffling to me that the Democratic Party has not spoken up about this, given that this has been the second death in his home in like a short, in less than a year. And there has been so many um, cries for help. Jasmine um, Kanick um, has been really following this locally on the ground and really has been showing up at events and covering this and writing for various publications um, and others in the community um, groups. Um, Black Lives Matter LA. Um, has also been helping lead efforts to bring justice outside of, you know, going outside his apartment, holding demonstrations. And it just really upsets me um, that, you know, we, we saw how a lot of Democrats spoke up for Justice Smollett at the beginning of his alleged hate crime, but we did not see that same energy despite the fact that we've seen two black gay men. And I think what we have to recognize here is the code of celebrity. You know, we should put a, we should not put a value on black gay lives um, it shouldn't matter if someone's a celebrity. We should be defending all of these individuals with that with that type of notoriety, especially when it involves um, institutions of power. And Buck represents a big, huge institution of power. Look, he's donating to elected officials locally in L.A. And so that's why I don't think you're hearing too much from them, because money talks and also white privilege. Right. Well, we're going to keep talking about it, too. Ernest, thank you for covering the story uh, and for joining us this morning. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Of course, of course. Um, this is a story that's important to yeah. us, and uh, we will continue to follow at, follow it as it develops because we are not uh, going to forget that the lives of these people absolutely matter. Mm. Uh, well, friends, we've got another great show for yes. you today. I'm so excited. Did you know Lynn Nottage is the only playwright to have won two Pulitzer Prizes? I have a sit-down interview with her and the lead actress of her new play, Jessica Care Dukes. Um, I'm so excited. Uh, but up next, it's time for Fire Tweets. Yes! Ah! Welcome back. You ready for some fire tweets? Nope. <laughs> well, too bad, because we're about to do it. All right, let's go. Uh, first up, Peach Red Bull Lifer tweeted, not using plastic straws is the thoughts and prayers of climate change. <laughs> That's accurate. I, don't, I personally don't use very many plastic straws I was about to say, anymore, I'm not like, straws aren't really but, my thing, but. Right, but I mean, it's not going to save all the sea turtles from the boiling seas that are pending. So, fun Friday, thoughts for everyone, wow. climate change. Damn, yeah. okay, she did that. Yeah. All right, this next tweet comes from Kristen Arnett. Good morning to everyone, but especially the woman in the crosswalk on my way to work who did not like that someone honked at her to hurry, so she stopped and did a couple of jumping jacks. That is the energy that I crave <laughs> from. We talked about this just a week ago. I just love a like, like a, like a. <laughs> hit me! <laughs> hit me! What happened? He hit me. He Have you ever hit the car when they go by you? Yes, I have yeah. done the. I've done the tap. I've done the tap so and prayed. I've done the tap and prayed. Next up, we have Anne. You tweeted, my child asked me what an encyclopedia is, and so help me God. I said, like if you printed out Wikipedia and made it into an alphabetized book. Which? I mean, true, that's accurate. It is. I just, I, I know that where are our kids actually seeing encyclopedias today is probably not. When I was a kid, our encyclopedias at home were from 1963. Uh, so I'm learning uh, all kinds of wrong shit about like date. race. Like, huh. Interracial marriage was like, still illegal Negroids. in those encyclopedias. What are those? <laughs> <laughs> screaming, screaming. I love the, um, what was it, the Encyclopedia Britannica, Britannica. on the oh, CD-ROMs? CD yes. Ooh, I would go in deep. I would go in deep. I don't remember the original Wiki Dive. <laughs> screaming. Okay, this next tweet comes from Shady. <laughs> Sibling, hey, can I have a piece? Me, here, take the whole damn thing. I can't have shit in this house. Mm, can't yes, relate to that. Can't relate to that. As yeah. an eldest child, it's like, no, that is actually mine by right, by birth, by blood, really. Do you have like little brothers? Little I sister? have a younger brother and a younger sister. We're all quite close in age, much to their like detriment because I still acted like I'm like, 
five, ten years older than Screaming. them. We got Hayes, we got Faze, we got Waze. We got Hayes, Justin, and Candace. Okay, T, I'm going to call them Faze and Waze, though. All right. <laughs> Are you ready for a tweet of the day? I am ready for a tweet of the day. Let's do this. <laughs> tweet of the day comes from Kendra. I saw a little kid running as fast as he could while screaming, tired, tired, and I think it's great. He already has life 100% figured out. And that was the one kid in that PE class doing <laughs> The runaway no. slave and was like, I'm tired of this shit. No. It was the one wake, one woke kid who was like, I'm tired of this bullshit. My chains are loose. I'm free. I'm out. Just shoot me, Harriet. <laughs> I'm not going to make it. Um. <laughs> Harriet Tubman does not deserve this. Oh, well, she's not here to see it. Okay, coming up, you get to see my interview with Pulitzer Prize winning playwright Lynn Nottage and actor Jessica Francis Dukes. But up next, we're going live from the dish. <laughs> Back. We're going live from the district with Congressman Mark Vesey. Good morning, Congressman. Hey, what's going on? We're doing well. We're doing well. Okay. On. <laughs> we're, we're making it yes. through this horrible Black History Month, uh, Congressman. Uh, <laughs> we wanted to start our conversation with a tweet from you where you responded to the president's declaration of national emergency last week. You tweeted, uh, this is making America less safe and setting a dangerous precedent. A fake national emergency steals billions from crucial military construction projects that endangers military readiness. I'm with Joaquin Castro. We need to stop this. Um, you, of course, are from Texas. I grew up in Louisville, right. by the way. Um, so you are in a border state. I wanted to know, what are your constituents saying about this? Yeah, uh, most of the constituents that I represent are saying that uh, it's it's a waste of money. And everyone here uh, that lives in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, even though Dallas-Fort Worth is not right on the border, uh, people understand that uh, we do business with Mexico. It's one of our largest trading partners and uh, for us as a country. But then when you think about that in terms of Texas, uh, it's huge for us. And so uh, coming up with uh, things like trying to put up uh, walls and what have you is not going to uh, do anything. I think everybody uh, realizes that we need to secure our southern border the best as we possibly can. But using technology and other smart ways of uh, dealing with the problem makes much more sense than the symbolic ways that Trump is trying to deal with it, just to get his base short up. Okay, but even if Representative Castro's resolution passes in the House, which of course is controlled by the Democrats, right. what do you think about its chances in the Senate? Uh, well, you know, a lot of senators on the Republican side have said that, you know, that they think that, uh, that, that this is an overreach. And, you know, going back uh, many administrations, there's always been this debate about exactly how much, uh, uh, how much latitude we should give the executive branch. We have three co-equal branches of government. Uh, and it seems uh, as the years pass on uh, that the executive branch is starting to erode that, which is a very important part of our constitution. And so the president going around the legislative process uh, to claim an emergency power to build a wall, I think is probably the most egregious uh, that we've seen perhaps uh, in the history of our country uh, and it needs to stop now. And I think that there are a lot of Republicans that are concerned about that, including some in the Senate. Now, whether or not they're willing to actually, you know, go against Trump when particularly in a lot of southern states, uh, you know, the president, uh, you know, probably has, uh, you know, still good popularity numbers. Uh, it remains to be seen. But uh, I would implore to them that they need to do the right thing and stand up for the Constitution and stop worrying about how the base feels. Well, uh, Texas is going to be looking like it's going to be pretty big in 2020. Regarding Congressman Castro's twin brother, Julian, will you endorse him in— Julian. Julian, I'm sorry. Julian, will you endorse him in 2020, or are you waiting for Beto to announce his bid? Like, what's your game plan here? I mean, we have so many great candidates that are running. Of course, you just mentioned two Texans. Uh, both of them are very good friends of mine. I, of course, I served uh, with Beto. I served with uh, Julian's brother, Joaquin. Uh, and then, of course, I have great relationships with— uh, some of the senators that are running too, including uh, Kamala uh, and Corey. And so uh, right now, uh, I'm just, you know, like everybody else, I'm, I'm watching uh, from Texas to see what happens. I'm listening to what my constituents say, uh, whom I end up endorsing uh, ultimately uh, will, who my constituents like will, will play a big role in that. And, and so uh, right now, a lot of them are saying they still like Beto. Some are saying they like Julian. I've had a lot of people ask me about both Kamala and Corey. And so I'm, I'm just sort of, uh, you know, waiting to, to see what happens. But I think that we have a lot of really exciting candidates 
uh, that can take the White House back for Democrats in 2020. So I'm just excited about that in general. Okay. Well, you know, I got to tell you, uh, Congressman, as a black gay kid who grew up in Louisville, Texas, home of the Louisville High School Denton Fighting County. Farmers. The farmer. The farmer. Uh, I can't believe I'm about to ask you, but we have been talking to other Texas lawmakers about the possibility of Texas going blue or maybe purple. Do you think that's a reality that can come true in 2020? Let me tell you, I don't know if you are aware of this, but we actually want a state rep seat a state legislative seat in Denton County. And of course, you know, Denton County, where you're from, is one of the reddest counties in the entire state. And the fact that we narrowly won a state legislative seat and there's a Democrat right now in Austin uh, working on behalf of that district, I mean, is is a very big deal. So yes, I mean, the fact that Beto O'Rourke won Tarrant County, the fact that we won a state rep seat in, in Denton County, the fact that we won two state rep seats in Williamson County uh, outside of Travis County in Austin, I, I, it's really uh, trending the right way for us in Texas. We still have a lot of work to be done uh, in Texas. I mean, we didn't do well in rural Texas at all. Uh, and uh, uh, and I think that with just a little tweak here and there, I absolutely think that, that Texas could be in play for Democrats in 2020, particularly if the president continues to perform as poorly as he has. Mm-hmm. Well, right now, Congressional Black Caucus members have been, you know, recently traveling around to look at issues of voter suppression. Now, in North Carolina yesterday, big news there, uh, the alleged election fraud on behalf of the Republican candidate means that there will be a new election there. What are your thoughts on that whole mess? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's, it's in, the, in it interesting that the Republicans that have long been screaming about voter fraud and all of these things that are happening on the Democratic side, they've uh, uh, perhaps... Uh, uh, you know, pulled some of the most uh, worst voting suppression tactics and and cheating and stealing tactics uh, that we've seen in any election uh, in a long time. And I'm glad that there's going to be a new election. Uh, it would have been wrong if the Republican had been seated in that seat, uh, particularly what happened with the black constituencies there. A lot of them, senior citizens that had their ballots stolen, had their votes thrown away. Uh, it, it, it's just, it's unthinkable to think that someone would even do anything like that. And so I, I'm happy that there's a new, a, a new election. Uh, you know, uh, I know that some people have argued that the Democrat uh, should have been seated uh, because there were probably enough votes that uh, uh, had, uh, they've been tabulated correctly. The Democrat probably will won, but at, at the very least, I'm happy that there is going to be a new election. Okay. Um, you know, Texans often love their guns. Uh, so I did want to ask you, you know, at this point where there is, of course, an ongoing conversation about gun violence and mass shootings in our country, what is it going to take for substantive gun violence uh, prevention, gun control to uh, pass in Congress? Yeah. And, and you're right. As you know, being from Louisville, Texans love their guns. Uh, liberals, conservatives, Democrats, Republicans here all own guns, all go hunting. Uh, and I think that what we're trying to do uh, as a as a Democratic caucus is pass very reasonable uh, gun safety legislation. The Charleston loophole, uh, some of the things dealing with uh, expanded background checks. Uh, it's not going to take anyone's gun away by any stretch of the imagination. I would I would never try to take anyone's gun away from them, and no, nor would anyone else. A lot of Democrats here in the state would not ever go for that. Uh, and so a lot of the buzz and a lot of uh, the talking points that you're going to see Republicans throwing out there uh, when this legislation gets on the House floor, it's just going to be all lies, all scare tactics. Uh, the, the pieces of legislation that, that we're going to advance as a Democratic caucus are good, common sense, gun safety measures. And I'm proud to support them and proud to support them, quite frankly, as a Texas gun owner myself. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning, Congressman. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Of course. Of course. Well, while we've been on... Yes. Yes. Uh, some news on the timeline. I'm sure you've been seeing. Uh, we have a tweet here from BuzzFeed News Entertainment reporter. Uh, Jesse Smollett has been suspended from Empire. Right. Uh, the executive producers put out a statement that said, the events of the past few weeks have been incredibly emotional for all of us. Jesse's been an important member of our Empire family for the past five years, and we care about him deeply. While these allegations are very disturbing, we are placing our trust in the legal system as the process plays out. We are also aware of the effects of this process on the cast and crew members who work on our show. And to avoid further disruption on set, we have decided to remove the 
role of Jamal from the final two episodes of the season. Wow. Yeah, they're just rewriting the last two episodes of the season, apparently. I mean, you know, this has just been, of course, we've talked about it so mm -hmm. much, but it has really just been pretty stunning to see someone who, you know, I think I think it's fair to say Jesse Smollett was obviously very well liked and loved, yeah. right, by all of the, the outpouring mm -hmm. of support when everyone thought that he had been hurt. And just to see whatever, right. however this plays out, just such a dramatic turn of events mm -hmm. and a change in perception of this person um, is just, it's pretty wild. It's man. a lot. Uh, we, the last few weeks have just been like a cyclone of emotion. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see both what the final product of the season of Empire looks like right. and where this case continues to go from here. Yeah, yeah. And I just wanted to say one thing to black queer people uh, who are, are are dealing with this. I, I it's, it's been a lot, right? And, and I think there's been this sense of like an onus on us that we like have to have an answer for it, you know, which is it's a weird uh, feeling. Um, and I have been working through it. Last night, I remembered something that um, a college professor, Rigoberto Gonzalez, told me um, when thinking about these dynamics. He said, just because that is a story, mm. it does not mean it has to be your story, right? So, you know, whatever Jesse is going through, mm -hmm. it, it, it is happening, right? And it will unfold however it unfolds. Uh, the conversation we also need to be having about the reality of anti-Black and anti-LGBT uh, violence in this country, that's going to continue to unfold, and mm -hmm. so will your story as well. And so, I, you know, just, if you need to step away or if you need to say, you know what, actually, I have nothing to fucking do with it. That's okay too, guys. You don't you don't owe people uh, an explanation for Jesse Smollett's behavior. Amen. All right. Well, friends, up next you see my sit down interview with the wonderful, brilliant playwright Lynn Nottage and actor Jessica Francis Dukes. I'm so excited for you guys to see that conversation. Stay tuned. Hello, my queens. This is The Sit Down, and I'm here with Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright Lynn Nottage and actor Jessica Francis Dukes, the writer and star of the new play, By the Way, Meet Vera Stark. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Oh, gosh. Okay, so last night was the play's opening night. I got to see it, and I just thank you. Thank you both for the work you've done. It was, it's brilliant, and I think uh, it's so good. So, uh, you know, it's it's a revival of yes, a play you wrote and put on in 2011. That's right. Set in the 1930s, Vera Stark is uh, a maid and want-to-be breakout actor. Um, for people who haven't seen it yet, because it just uh, started being staged, um, where did this idea come from for you? Sure, for, for me, the idea really came from my love of... Um, screwball comedies from mm -hmm. the 1930s. I grew up watching these films on television in okay. black and black, in black and white, and really just being enamored with them. And uh, I love the wit, I love the humor, I love the fast pace of the language, yes. and the fact that so many of them were um, female centric. Mm -hmm. But there always came a moment. Um, when I was watching these films where a black actor would shuffle onto the screen, mm -hmm. carrying a tray, bug-eyed, and would take me out. The fun would go away for a second, and i have to recover. Mm -hmm. And then they disappear, and I'd be back in the film. Mm -hmm. And um, years later, there was a festival on, on television, mm -hmm. and I watched some of these screwball comedies as an adult, and I became really curious about who were these men and women who were brilliant performers who went to Hollywood with the expectation that they were going to get work and found themselves marginalized. Mm. And so Vera Stark is really about my, my um, questions I had about these actors. Mm -hmm. Who were they? Right. What happened to them? Yeah. Why were they forgotten? What, Why were they what forgotten? Happened what happened to Vera yes. Stark? Yeah, yeah. And so for Vera, and it's kind of, you know, for people who haven't seen it yet, it's kind of um, a big movie comes up, a, new, a big script, and it's kind of like Gone with the Wind. Yes. And your character is like, listen, I'm, I'm from the vaudeville circuit. I got the talent. Yes. And so she's forced to make the decision, um, am I going to play a slave to have a breakout role or like, you know, am I going to stand firm in my integrity and not have a job? Right. Um, is that something that resonated with you just as, as an actor trying to make it, you know, in Hollywood and in theater? Yes, because I think the sacrifice parallels that mm. we go through, especially as black actresses today, mm. um, you know, we were just talking about it, how, you know, many times you have to change yourself in mm. order to be seen by the, you know, majority. Right as something that is, you know, um, whether it be a lawyer or a judge or a doctor, you know, you have to present yourself a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, and Vera is willing to go there. Mm -hmm. um, it, it happens in the, in you know, in the, she kind of stumbles into, into, yeah. stumbles yeah. into uh -huh. it. But she's, you know, once she does, she knows that she's crossed that bridge. Mm -hmm. And once you do that, that's it. You mm -hmm. know, if, if I can get what my, you know, mm -hmm. um, boss right. has. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and and, and, and a, yeah, and again, an important detail is um, you know passing and performing is yes. important. And what I loved is that we see different characters, not just very. Everyone is performing and often caught in the act. You yes. know, so it's like that moment when your your friends from home see yes. you like talking with a weird accent, kind of like. What's right. going on? And so I wanted to ask you, it is so funny. Yeah. I was laughing so I was sitting next to a black woman and we just kept laughing. I, like, I, I don't know if the white people are getting this, but <laughs> like, how do you make colorism, um, misogyny, racism in Hollywood funny? Because you did. Well, you know, I think the humor is really one of the ways in which we process trauma. Mm-hmm. You think about the great humorists going mm-hmm. back through time, like, Richard Pryor, Moms mm-hmm. Mabelie, mm-hmm. in order to negotiate this space that we're living in, they had to laugh about yeah. it. Otherwise, yeah. it would be too difficult. Yeah. And so I think that that's why I decided to, to use the tool of humor to explore the lives of Vera Stark and all of these women who are trapped in circumstance right. and make these very compromised choices in order to be stars, yeah. right? Yeah, um, Towards the end, we, we get to see the range of, of this woman's life. Um, and, and I just want to say, it made me think of some of the last interviews Nina Simone did. Yes. And I, and I was wondering, I was like, was that on your mind? So <laughs> I wanted to ask, you know, of course, there are a lot of actresses, like who was inspiring you for this character? Was it someone in particular or a range of people? Well, you know, Lynn was very specific on, you know, uh, Teresa Harris and Nina Mae McKinney kind of being uh, my eyesight okay. for... Vera and I just watched every single thing they mm-hmm. did and the joy and the hope that they perform with, there's such a light yes. to them um, that I wanted to bring to Vera. And then as far as act two, mm-hmm. we watched a lot of Merv Griffin. We watched mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, those 70s talk shows. Yeah. Um, and I actually pulled from numerous actresses, whether mm-hmm. it be black or white, that, you know, have come to the, you know, end or possibly end of their career and what that means to look back on the sacrifice. Um, there's a lot of Della Reese in my act too, mm. you know. Um, oh, my heart. Yes, there's yeah. a lot of, you know, um, what, what, uh, uh, Alina Horn. Yeah. There's, you know, that grandiose spirit mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. kind of has to put that on right. because of what people have yeah. put on her. Absolutely, my goodness. Yeah. Um, another moment that, that stood out to me just in the audience, um, uh, Lottie, uh, Vera's roommate, uh, says, and I love that scene so much, just watching black women just talk, just about stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, and she says, you know, she, of course, was an actress at 1.2 and yeah. is not quite making it. And she says, listen, I didn't give up on acting. Acting gave up on me. Yep. And someone in the audience went, oh, yeah. like it was, yeah. it was visceral. Yes. And so I wanted yeah. to ask you again, as an actor, did that feel familiar? Is yes. that the kind of conversation you've had? Well, there's a lot of parallels yeah. in this. I mean, it's just, it's a joy to be um, in the middle of my career, in mm-hmm. the middle of my hustle, you know, mm-hmm. Vera's hustle in the middle of pilot yeah. season. Yeah. You know, but yeah. just it's, it's, you know, and the amount of um, sacrifice of self, mm-hmm. You know, uh, the amount of things that you push to the side because you're like, I gotta, I gotta be in this place. I've gotta be in this da 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 da. And after a while, you go, well, when do I get something back? You know, or when is it gonna come to me? And mm-hmm. you know, one of my best uh, friends said to me the other day, I'm ready to be compensated for the amount of work that I put in. Yeah. And then when you're not, what happens? And I think that you know, Lottie says she's, I'm not waiting for this business to give, hand me anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been out here, I did this, I did that, I've been on Broadway, I've da da da. But because I look like I do. Mm-hmm. I'm not hunting after this yeah. anymore. You She's know, like, I played Juliet. I played Juliet. Yeah. You know. Um, well, Lynn, of course, you know, two Pulitzer prizes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have made history, and you continue to make history in your work. Um, and I was struck both by your success, um, but also thinking about you know your play is now opening this revival, and Terrell Alvin McCraney has Choir Boy on Broadway, and um, soon uh, Jeremy O'Harris is going to make his Broadway debut. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. Black playwrights having their work honored. From your perspective, though, what else would you like to see? Well, if you look at this purely at the statistics, mm-hmm. it's, it seems like there's a wonderful moment happening, and it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like this is a great renaissance right, right now in, in black writing, mm-hmm. in particular in play writing, but the statistics don't support the, the reality. Okay. You know, um, by and large, black women are underrepresented as playwrights throughout the country. Mm-hmm. And um, women are underrepresented. Black men are underrepresented. So we see Terrell McCraney. We, th- we see Jer- Jeremy Harris. And we have this assumption that everything's all right. 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 But it isn't. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Yeah. Uh, you that's know, a, this is a moment. Right. And we have to figure out how do we make this more than just a moment. Yes. Exactly. And I feel like that's what every character yes. the show is doing. This is a moment. How do I how make do we, more? Yep. How do we make more of it? Wow. Well, I just, as, a, as an audience member, as an artist, uh, just thank you both. I, it was oh. inspiring. It was deeply funny and needed. Uh, thank you all for well, I'm glad work. you enjoyed thank it. You. Thank you. I'm going to go back. I'm serious. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> friends, uh, you can see, by the way, Meet Vera Stark in New York City at the Signature Theater. Go with a friend because you're going to walk out and you yes. want someone to talk to about it. All right. Stay tuned for more AM to DM. <laughs> This Black History Month has been trash so far. But good news, there is still time to salvage it. To that end, I am joined by Taryn Finley, HuffPost Black Voices Editor, to talk about their series, hashtag We Built This. Hello. Hey. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we've been surviving yeah. so far. Oh, God. So barely. far. Hanging on. You know, it's, it's really crazy this month. I feel like day after day we've mm -hmm. been hit, you know, no matter what corner of the Black community you're in, whether you're Black and LGBTQ, Black mm -hmm. and Muslim, like, everybody has just been hit. <laughs> just all, we're all in this together struggling. Mm -hmm. Well, so on February 1st, first day, you tweeted, Carter G. Woodson didn't create Negro History Week in 1926, which became Black History Month 40 years later, for our stories to be watered down and fictionalized by way of revisionist history. That's a great point. How would you say that that watering down has really been happening through the history of Black History Month? Yeah, definitely. I mean, in schools, like, from the first time that we learn about history, mm -hmm. we see our history relegated to just like a few figures mm -hmm. in certain time frames, And it's all about, oh, just slavery, mm -hmm. just um, the civil rights movement, just these specific characters or these specific figures in history. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we don't even see the wholeness of the Rosa Parks. We don't see the wholeness of the Martin Luther Kings. And then we end up getting hidden figures and we end up, you know, not learning thoroughly how amazing and thorough and expansive our history is. So how do you feel like hashtag we built this combats that? Oh God, so um, the overall theme for um, our, for Black Voices Black History Month is mm -hmm. Black History Built This. And we wanna really make sure that people know that, hey, we haven't gotten credit for everything that we've built. We haven't gotten credit for literally, like there would be no American history mm -hmm. had it not been for Black history. Our history is literally within the, the deepest of the DNA mm -hmm. of this country. And we have, done and created and contributed to so many facets that like you cannot ignore us. So right. we built this. We're letting you know that we built this. Right. So it's really interesting. Some of the names that you've decided to spotlight, including a journalist, Nicole Hannah-Jones, you've got Michael Strahan on the list, Danielle Brooks. What was the thought process and how do you decide who to spotlight in this series? Yeah. So it was really important for us to highlight the Black history makers of today. So we wanted to go through various industries, whether it be education like um, Erica Hart or journalism like Nicole Hannah-Jones, sports like um, Michael Strahan and so many other people who are really changing the game, um, re, uh, redirecting and, and, and reclaiming the narrative behind either their industries mm -hmm. or even opening doors for future generations to do that. And I think it's really important that we ask all of these um, history makers of today to look back. And we've been asking them, who are the black history makers, the change agents that you draw, his, that you draw inspiration from right. right now? Nice. So who would you say is the most surprising person that you guys put on the list? Who, when scrolling through, do you think people are most like, her? Or him? Yeah, I think some of the names that, you know, may not be more widely recognized, right? So mm -hmm. like the Lindsay Days, who is the editor-in-chief and founder of Crown Magazine, or Kent Johnson, who founded uh, Black and Abroad. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I think that Black history, oftentimes, we think in terms of, like, who was the face of something or who was the... Mm -hmm. And I think that that does such a great disservice because mm -hmm. we end up overlooking people who are doing the work consistently, and we need to make sure that they get their flowers, too. Right. Not just, like, the second and third and the fourth, but, like, the 29th who is doing it today. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me. So who do you think is still left out of this narrative? Who do you think still is not getting their flowers, not getting their due? 
Yeah, oh my God, so many people. I really wish that we would have had, you know, even more politicians mm. on this list. You know, I, we were shooting in January, so <laughs> a lot of folks like uh, Letitia James and Ayanna Presley, you know, mm. they're busy. They literally right. just got in office, They got right? things to do. Exactly, and there are people who, you know, were booked and busy, you know, and, and had, you know, like uh, like Tarana Burke or April Ryan, who mm. we just weren't able to, but we want to continue this because Black history is not just relegated to just a month like Fact. we're trying to do this 365 and yes. we need that after this to like really torrentious month that we've been go- it's, uh, going through. it's been a mess yes yeah. we need to like stretch black history month out for the rest of the year just to make up for these couple of weeks Ooh. i completely agree well taryn thank you so much for joining us up next saeed is talking to the mom from that viral dancing family video hopefully she'll teach us a few moves stick around All right, friends, let's bring some joy to the timeline with this tweet from Philip. Uh, the three witches after giving Macbeth the prophecy that will fuck up his entire life. Yes, 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 yes. Double, double, toil and trouble. I love it. Uh, here's another tweet from Austin. Nobody, lower class people in the Titanic. <laughs> um, and let's do one more. Here's a tweet from undocumented scientist. Bacteria, when you don't finish your antibiotic prescription all the way through. <laughs> Just fucking your immune system up. Um, I love these memes so much. And we are welcoming the mastermind behind that video, choreographer Wilona Jean-Pierre. Good morning, Wilona. Good morning. How are you? I am good. Thank you for this video. Thank you for the joy. I smile and laugh every single time I see it, which is a lot. <laughs> um, it's been I all... see that it's been a lot lately. Yes, it has. And so as I understand it, um, it's all over the place, but it's actually from 2014. What's the story yes. behind that vine? Okay, story behind that vine is just everyday life, basically. Um, my kids and I, we have fun in the house, dancing. Um, I pretty much dance all of my life. And so I kind of spilled that over to my children and they love to dance. So we just spend time in the house together, having fun and dancing. And one of the kids just so happened to be recording us. What they like to do is keep me updated with the latest dances. So they were teaching me one of the new dances called Drop. And um, that is where that video originated from. Okay, cool. And and what was going on <laughs> in your life at the time that that video uh, was recorded? Well, I had just recently gotten a divorce. And... Um, I uh, just recently moved out of my previous home into a new home. And um, like I said, dancing is something that I've always loved. And I kind of let that get away from me. I kind of lost that art for those amount of years. And so when I got a divorce, I just became myself again. I became free and open to do what I originally loved. So, I mean, we just started dancing. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, Lona got her groove back. Uh, Well, how (laughs) how did you find out that the video had gone viral? My son, actually. Um, I'm actually not active on Twitter. I do have an account, but I'm never there. I probably should go there now. Um, But my son's on Twitter, and uh, he uh, called me and he says, hey, you know that viral, that video is back viral again. Because I guess it had went viral probably a few years ago. And so he says, that video is back again. I said, that video just will not go away. (laughs) So yeah, he's the one that let me know about it. That's so funny. So you and your sons, of course, were doing the drop, um, but the version that went viral uses the One Direction song, Act My Age. Uh, what do you think yeah. about the One Direction version? Do you have an opinion on it? I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I think it is hilarious. I think that the memes that they put to it is so fitting. Um, social media, they will take something and they will drive it in the ground. <laughs> so I just think it is so hilarious. That's so funny. So hilarious. Have, have you seen a, has, is there a favorite uh, tweet or meme you've seen using it? Um, my favorite one, because I can relate to this so very much. Uh-huh. Me and my friends, knowing we work the same shift. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that one was so fitting because that happens to me often. Like, Isn't it such a joy when you know you work with some of your favorite yeah, people? Yeah, absolutely. You're like, yes. I know that <laughs> feeling all the time here at AM to DM. Um, well, I also wanted to ask you, you know, listen, it of course has been a tough month. It has been a tough uh, Black History Month for a lot of people. The news is crazy. Oh my God. Um, but, you know, this video really has brought joy to people. So I wanted to ask you, you know, what does it kind of feel like to be a symbol of Black joy during, you know, a tough time? You know, I didn't, um, 
I didn't, I've never thought about that actually. Um, I didn't intend on it being that, but uh, I guess God is good because of that reason. Um, I love it. I mean, if it can bring someone joy, I like to laugh. I like to have fun. I think I'm outgoing. I like to make people laugh. So if it's bringing people joy, if you're in a sad moment, if you are depressed for any reason, I'm happy if that goes across your screen, it can lift you up. I'm always for lifting people up. So I love I'm it, happy Lola. about that. You've definitely been doing that. Thank you. Keep dancing, uh, Walona. Keep dancing. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Of course. And everyone, you guys can follow Walona on Instagram at WJP and Company for more dance videos. Get your life. Get moving. Up next, uh, Hayes and I are going to respond to more of your tweets. We asked, what is your biggest Oscars grudge of all time? The Alan says, exist. the entirety of the 88th oh. Academy Awards where no single black actor, writer, director, etc., was nominated for an award. It was full of, quote, overwhelming whiteness, end quote, as Polygon writer Joe Reed put it in a recent ranking of modern Oscar shows. Wow. I wonder what Dang. year the 88th... I don't know, but it sounds bad. 88, that was, what, eight years before now? So 2001? Wow. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, I need to go back and see just how bad that was. Embarrassing. Uh, Well, Blasian FMA tweeted, uh, I wanted to combine the first question about a well-intentioned moment from elementary school with this Oscar talk. Um, He tweeted, my ninth grade English teacher in Mississippi lectured the class about how we were all part of the human race after Halle Berry won for Monsters Ball and said it did not matter that she was black. Oh, Oh, that is like a prime example of where you try to do a not racist and you loop back around to a racist. Uh, yikes. Oh, oh my wait. God. I'm sorry. We were just sorry, told the, the 88th. <laughs> you were just our told producer that Emily just told us the 88th Academy Awards were 2016. So wait, can we go back to that tweet, actually? Yeah. That is... Not a single black actor. So in 2016, thank you. So in 2016, no. on the 88th Academy Awards, there was not a single black actor, writer, director nominated for an award. Jeez. Oh my goodness. We're bad at math, Saeed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know like when they started. Right, it's the 90th this year, and I just completely <laughs> fucked it up is what happened. Here. Oh, God. Anyway, Alex, Axel Kuhn says, all these Harriet Tubman jokes have me thinking of Nicki Minaj screaming, to freedom! Happy Friday. Harriet Tubman, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Please forgive me for joking about you. But I don't know. I kind of, you think Harriet Tubman had a good sense of humor? She has to have. She was a union spy. She was a, she, she had to like get through it somehow. That's true. That's true. You got to laugh when you're out there trying to get free. Uh, well, thank you to all of our guests this morning. April Rain, Ernest Owens, Representative Mark Vesey, Lynn Nottage, Jessica Francis Dukes, Taryn Finley, and Wilona Jean-Pierre. Thank you all. Yeah. Next week we have AJ Michalka. She would tell Idia for Casey Wilson, Rome Flynn, and more. All right, that's exciting. Yeah, it's exciting. We love it. All right, and Isaac and I are going to be back here on Monday at 10 a.m. Have a great weekend. Enjoy. Rest, y'all. Rest. <laughs>